My story starts a bit like a weather chart, full of highs and lows. Mad, misfit, mercenary or missionary. She said to me, you are lucky. Our friends held us up as the perfect odd couple. I knew this guy was the devil. I had goosebumps running all down my body. And that was the point. That was the moment. It's not unusual to feel a strong connection to a different country or culture, or even a landscape, one that's totally different to where you're from. It has something essential that just draws you in and somehow, maybe even surprisingly, makes you feel more alive. Well, what if you felt that way about a sound? Welcome to another episode of Spun, a live storytelling night based in Darwin. My name's Jess Ong. Janos Kerakes was born a long way away from the Northern Territory, which makes his musical journey from Eastern Europe to East Arnhem Land all the more remarkable. Thanks for having me. It's a great pleasure. My story starts in somewhere in the early 90s. I'm about um, 10 or 11 years old, growing up in the middle of uh, Europe, in Hungary, in a small village. And I remember that was a Thursday night. I'm sitting at home and looking forward to the last episode of an Australian drama. And at the last, somewhere at the last 10 minutes, I see a black man sitting next to the campfire and blowing like a long trumpet, something. <laughs> I don't know what it was, but I remember the, the sound just like burned into my mind. And I had to wait uh, another few years to find out what it was. It's 1999. I'm in Budapest in the capital city and waiting for a friend of mine. Um, he was extremely late, like two hours. <laughs> and he, when he arrived, he came up with a pretty like an awkward excuse. He said, I'm sorry, I just met someone in the train station. He was carrying a didgeridoo. I was like, a what? <laughs> I think he saw something on my face because a few months later, I got a, like a, a bamboo stick from him as a Christmas present. He made it with his own hands. And um, well, he wasn't a didgeridoo player, but lucky me, he was like a, a tuba player, a professional one. And a few, few years later, I managed to find out that us, didgeridoo players, and them, tuba players, had something similar. We could play each other's instruments, so he could, he could um, make this bamboo stick sound, and he showed me like how to blow it, like blow it, like And he also told me, a, told me about the special, special breathing technique so I can make the sound like continuous, and how to, to breathe at the same time like breathing in through my nose and breathing through my mouth. And he told me exactly like that, um, learn this, it might take you somewhere. <laughs> well, I would like to make my way back to Hungary and ask him what, what it makes him to say that, but he, he told me something there. So I went home, sitting with my bamboo stick every night, making really weird noises. <laughs> I, I still don't understand how my flatmates didn't get rid of me. 
or at least my bamboo stick. But um, I managed to I managed to um, like get close to the sound in a month, and another few months I managed to put my head around this circular breathing. So I was keep playing playing at home uh, on my own, and about a year later I met someone on the streets of Hungary, on somebody in Budapest, and he came to me and he told me like, ah, this is a didgeridoo on your shoulder. And I was very much surprised because that man could uh, actually tell that name, didgeridoo. And because of him, I managed to meet some others who got some crazy thoughts in their minds like, like me and playing different kind of uh, wooden tubes. So I started to meet them and started to learn about this, in this instrument. And I remember from the very first time I was, I was very, very much interested where it's, where it's coming from, who, who are the people who are playing it. And speaking no English, I, I relied on a, on a source in Hungarian language, which was only one book, 300 pages. I read it through found the didgeridoo mentioned only once, so it didn't really work. <laughs> so I had very limited access to the internet, so I'm talking about 2000, 2001. So I felt like, okay, I need to come to Australia somehow and learn about this instrument. I started to put some money together and sort out the visa, and and finally, I managed to make it to Australia in 2006 at the first time. I had some big plans to come to Darwin, but on my way to the airport, I got a call from my uh, travel agent. He told me, like, oh, but your flights to Darwin being cancelled because some serious weather events there, so I can take you to Cairns. I was like, okay, take me to Cairns. <laughs> Two of my friends were with me on that trip, so we arrived to Cairns bought a car straight away, and we were like, okay, we drive to Darwin. But on the way out of the city, we met a, a, a didgeridoo maker. He was buying a coffee on the same place, and <laughs> he took us to his shed. He was very busy in, in making didgeridoos, so we decided to stay a few days with him. And we came up with an offer. He told us, like, okay, guys, if you stay with me for a month, and help me to make some business, make some didgeridoos, you can take home as many as you want. So we ended up with him. For a month, he took us to bush, cut didgeridoos, go back to his shed, busy on the tours. Um, haven't seen much of Australia, but I have seen lots of, lots of many eucalyptus and lots of cockroaches and termites and um, other kind of small um, animals. <laughs> so we managed to make it back to Hungary with two big pallets of raw didgeridoos. Well, you can imagine the Hungarian custom officer's face. <laughs> we, we, rocked, we rocked up at the border with 140 termite-damaged eucalyptus raw logs <laughs> filled up with termites and actually they got some um, scorpions in there as well. <laughs> First thing they wanted to do, just like the burn the whole thing. But um, we, we managed to smuggle all them in and 
started, started to make them and turn them into beautiful instruments and started to sell them and started like a didgeridoo community in, in the Eastern Europe. <laughs> and and I, started, I started to play it a, a, a lot and started to play in a band and I started to play in another, another band and somehow I managed to make it on big stages of the, of the country. But I was, I was still listening to this sound in my head when I was, I was hearing when I was 10 years old and the one that I was doing that was still so far. So I was busy on learning English, had some good internet access, so I managed to learn what this instrument is and where it's coming from. That's how I ended up in the northern territory, like I need to come here. So I arrived in 2009 in Brisbane. Um, I started to work there as a cabinet maker and managed to make it to Darwin in 2010 first. Um, I was coming to uh, like a didgeridoo camp. A friend of mine from Melbourne been organizing it and he uh, got some traditional players on that uh, camp, um, some Yongu, Yongu people from Northeast Arnhem Land. So Yongu are the traditional people of that uh, eastern part of Arnhem Land and have a very special connection to the didgeridoo. They call it Iraqi. And I managed to learn from them how to play it, was the tradition of the Iraqi playing. And one of the young um, Yongu player, he called me his brother. He adopted me into the Yongu uh, kinship system. So I made it back to Darwin. I flew back to Europe, flew back to um, Australia again. And I was very lucky because my beautiful partner followed me on my, on my journey. And I was still busy in cabinet making in uh, Brisbane, but I had trips back to uh, Darwin. And because of, because of my connection to this young man, I managed to make it to East Arnhem Land. And man, uh, I met uh, an old man, old young man. He's a very famous Iraqi player and Iraqi maker called Jalu Gurubibi. And I started to visit his, him and his family every year. And I, I was so keen to learn about Iraqi. And um, I managed to find out that learning about Iraqi is not about learning how to play it because it's incorporated in the culture, it's rooted in there. I need to learn about culture and learning about culture, I need to learn languages. So here, here I am again, language barriers. I could speak English, but I couldn't speak Yongumata, which is their languages. So I enrolled in a course in the CDU, Charles Darwin University. And done my first semester, I loved it. From Brisbane, I was installing kitchens and when the time came on every Friday midday, I dropped my tools, ran out to the car, opened my laptop, talking on the Skype with my uh, lecturers, ran back to the kitchen installation. <laughs> and one day, one guy called me from the CDU, one of my lecturers, and, and he told me, why don't you uh, apply for a diploma? We start to run a diploma in Yongu Studies. So I did. And I would start to think, like, what I'm going to do with this? You know, I'm a, a cabinet maker in Brisbane. Come on. <laughs> and you know, life is beautiful because sometimes you just need to 
ask the proper question and you get an answer. And someone called me from Darwin, from an Aboriginal corporation, and she said, I heard about what you're doing and heard about you. What if you come to Darwin and start to work with us? So I started my work as a cross-cultural facilitator with Arts Aboriginal Corporation recently. And I love it so much. I'm, I'm learning how to incorporate my deep interest in Nidaki into my work. And um, people sometimes asking me, like, whether if, it, if it's appropriate to, to learn about the traditional playing and learn about the traditional way of uh, Iraqi and thinking about it. And I'm always struggling because the answer is like yes and no. No, because I'm never going to be an Aboriginal person. But yes, because I have a vision. I have a vision like the contemporary playing and the traditional playing is something like two different words, like the white man word, balanda, as Yongu say, and the traditional way, Yongu way. And somewhere in the middle, we can, I believe we can meet and we can, we can create like a space where we can start to understand each other. And no matter what, what language we talk, Hungarian, English, or Yongu Matta, we can start to communicate and uh, respect each other's culture. And I would feel, to be honest, a bit awkward today to walk off the stage without playing Iraqi. What's stirring music to finish that incredible journey? Janosch told his story in 2017 at a spun event called Rewind, where we celebrated 60 years of Darwin City Council and all the stories the city has witnessed and the strangers it has welcomed. This podcast episode featured sound editing by Rosa Ellen, music by Lajlo Hassani, story production by Oscar Schwartz, with funding support from Darwin International Airport. My name's Jess Ong. Thanks for listening. <laughs>